Bigger Talks, Bigger Talks, back again for another IG Live edition interview. I have Dr. Jonas Kuna on today, and we're going to talk about everything, like everything. Misinformation, mental health, depression medication, uh, holistic well-being, weight loss, and of course, Cryo Healthcare, because he's the founder and medical director of Cryo Healthcare. Some of you guys follow me. You see me go there a few times a week to freeze my body, to get the inflammation and pain out, and uh, we're going to talk more once I get them on. So uh, thank you all for joining me this morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are from the East Coast. Uh, let's get right into it. Jonas, how are you? <laughs> Happy Wednesday. Good morning. Um, yeah. Well, welcome to Bigger Talks, IG Live Edition. Um, as the people watching and listening, they know uh, you're the founder and medical director for Cryo Healthcare. Um, and you're a phenomenal human being. I think you had, you've been in business for 14 years. So before we get into the details of the discussion, can you give us a synopsis of like who you are? Uh, how did you get into like cryo healthcare and just the medical field in general? Sure. So, um, I basically, you know, um, studied medicine here, you know, went to UCLA medical school, um, graduated and, uh, kind of went into primary care. Um, I worked in geriatrics. Uh, I liked that a lot. I liked working with all the people. That was fantastic. I was very, you know, interested in them because I found that here in the U.S., uh, more so than in other countries, people, as we get older, we get neglected by our family. We kind of get pushed off, get a bunch of medications. We get over-medicated and, you know, kind of ignored. And I kind of felt this is a population, you know, I mean, with such tremendous wealth of knowledge and talking to these people was fantastic. So I enjoyed that mostly Medicare patients that I saw. But then I felt that at some point, I don't want to be practicing traditional medicine really anymore because I've gotten a bit, you know, discouraged with it. It's always the same pattern. We wait until someone becomes sick and then we manage them with medications or surgery or whatever else. And I think we have a lot of knowledge now that, you know, diseases don't happen overnight. You know, we contribute tremendously to our health, you know, as, as you know, and this is part of what you do in your work, right? The, right? the real medicine comes in preventing illness, you know, preventing disease and, and kind of besides that, not just being healthier, but you know, as you're physically healthy, also mentally healthier. I think that's a big, these two components, and that's very much ignored in Western medicine, right? So I looked into other modalities that I was interested in, and a lot of my patients, the geriatric patients, had rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis as they get older, right? wear and tear on the, on the joints a lot of times from neglect in terms of their, their eating, they didn't exercise and all these things. And at some point they become immobile. And how do we go downhill when we get older is when our muscle uh, mass deteriorates, you know, we get muscle atrophy. And once you are weak, especially your legs, you sit in a wheelchair, it's downhill. And so I was like, well, cryo is an interesting thing. I, um, at the time my wife and I were, were dating and um, she was in Germany and um, she was actually booked, she worked for a uh, journal over there, like a, like a magazine. And they asked her to test out this cryo device. And I was in Germany at the time, I was, and she asked me to come along. And I was really interested in this technology uh, that had an impact without medication. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but rheumatoid arthritis, these are heavy duty medications we're talking about, you know. We're talking about immunosuppressive mm -hmm. agents, Humira, we're talking about corticosteroids, we're talking about you know, the treatments um, are very severe in terms of their side effects, right? And the results are sort of mediocre. And this was a treatment that used cold temperature, really, really cold temperature. We're talking minus 200 or colder degrees Fahrenheit. And I got hooked, saw this. It's like, this is the first modality I want to start with. I want to kind of have a uh, practice that focuses on non-pharmacologic treatments that have a true impact. And then, you know, from there we grew. So my wife and I, founded Cryo Healthcare, and, um, you know, we have uh, three locations now here, and that's kind of going, and that's one of them. We see you a lot, which is fantastic, you know. <laughs> yeah. Happy when, uh, when you come I, I also think, like, you were the first doctor uh, in the United States to introduce cryo yeah. to America. Is that, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I was the first person crazy enough to bring this here. And then, um, <laughs> so, thank you for doing that, because, I mean, I've been, I've been coming to cryo for seven years, mm -hmm. It's been beneficial to like my recovery, uh, my health, my well-being, and 
you know, especially like over the pandemic, you know, your facility was like right. amazing. Like when they was when we we're opening back up yeah. from the Beamer to uh, you know, vitamin yeah. B12, B complex oh. shots, uh, red light right. therapy. So let's move into more uh, holistic well being and weight loss, right? Because you right. talked about preventative diseases. We talked a little bit about cryo healthcare and how it gets the pain out of your body. Mm. But what do you think is the root cause of people not able to lose weight? Or more importantly, what is weight loss? Because mm. I think we have this theory of if I lose weight, I'm healthy. If I eat healthy, I feel better. But I don't think that's necessarily true. So what is weight loss and what is holistic well-being from your perspective? I think the key thing is, I mean, there's, there's, there's different motivations for us to lose weight. One is, of course, the, um, you know, uh, superficial one. We want to look better, right? That's one. Yeah. But the more important one, I think, and this is, again, I look at everything from a preventive health perspective. Having visceral fat, so fat around the midsection and, and yeah. the targets, right, is a predictor of heart disease. Unfortunately, also a predictor of diseases like uh, cancer right. and autoimmune this, right? These all increase as we have more obesity, especially centers called central obesity, right? A lot of that fat is around the organs. That's called the visceral fat. And these are the things that's very interesting to me. So we, um, when we're younger, many people do better. Not so much anymore. We have a lot of young people now that have issues with their, with their body weight. But as we get older, I mean, this weight accumulates and it doesn't, it doesn't have to. And it has to do with our patterns of eating, our patterns of exercise, our patterns of stress. And that's always interesting talking to you because I think you have very valuable input in this because, like, you know, part of it is, sure, it's physical, so eating and all that, but part of it is also our stress levels, how we deal with things and, and the reasons why we eat, you know, if it, comfort food and all these things. So I think this is very good. We have conversations about this. But what I see is um, people at some point say, well, look, I'm, I, have, I weigh too much. I'm just going to eat less. I'm going to decrease my calories total and I'm going to lose some weight. And then they for this pattern but they can't do that anymore or it gets overwhelming for them or they are, they're fed up and then they eat and they, they gain more and then they drop again they gain more but the ultimate development is they get heavier over time mm. and the main mistake i've seen is the, the you know our relationship with food our composition of food and yeah. the i mean our diet of processed foods is terrible okay um we have to learn i think first and that's something that you do as well, you know, to talking to people to understand what foods generally are healthy. Now, we don't have, all have to eat the same thing. We don't have to follow the same intermittent fasting windows and all these things. But we have to have an understanding of what constitutes food that is nourishing and, and good. And then what is food that is absolute junk that we shouldn't eat. That's the first step. Right. And then I always tell you, look, the, the main mistake I see, if you, yeah, you, you want to decrease calories at some point, but you want to keep your protein high and you want to eat high quality protein and what, what constitutes high po quality protein, right? And then you want to have windows only a few days where you do an intermittent fasting. So the approach, I think, is the problem. The general reason why we gain weight is our diet, number one. And it's interesting, and it's kind of what's, what's in our diet. And these are things that we might not be so aware of. And then there's controversy about some. One thing we talked about is seed oils, right, which I think are terrible for us. Yeah. Canola, sunflower, soybean, all these oils. Very artificially produced um, uh, seed oils, high in these um, omega-6 polyunsaturated fats, uh, or called uh, uh, omega-6 linoleic acid. And the problem with that is, is that they influence our metabolism. They get stored in our fat cells. They cause fat cells hypertrophy. The fat cells get bigger. Yeah. They can't function normally. Fat cells are, um, you know, they, they communicate with other cells. They are not as inactive as we think, but it makes them really um, not being able to have this communication anymore. The problem is ultimately, we get very sick from these because the breakdown products, once these things accumulate in our fat cells, they're very toxic. So and these, and these, seed oil, these seed oils, where do we find them mostly? Are they in all like everything? Every fast food will have them. And unfortunately, when you eat French fries, they're soaked in them, of course, because they use vegetables. They call them vegetable oils. There's no vegetables in there. These are seed oils. And McDonald's, interestingly, so they used the fat until the 1980s or 90s that was a saturated fat that actually was much better because it doesn't oxidize like this but it's called beef tallow. People are like, oh my gosh, this is so ancient. We shouldn't use that stuff, right? Yeah. 
And in the 80s, 90s, there was a lot of pressure from this uh, seed oil industry, and they finally use now seed oils, vegetable oils. Like, I think they use canola and soybean oil, yeah. and that, that's one of the worst things. The, the problem with these oils is they're everywhere, and you buy them in a supermarket. I always tell people, look, you, you don't want to guzzle fat, even if you're on a ketogenic diet, which you can do short-term, in my opinion. Um, you want to have good fats, and good fats are you know, olive oil, like monounsaturated fats, uh, avocado oil, Butter, like grass-fed butter is great, but, but small amounts, you know, small amounts of good fats and cut out all these seed oils. And then, you know what? It doesn't happen overnight. It takes about two years for them to really come out of your system completely, up to two years, right? right. But every day we don't eat them, it's a step in the right direction, right? And again, small amounts of good fats have some healthy carbohydrates, like, like fruit, for example, right? And some vegetables and good proteins. And then- yeah, what they, what are some good proteins? That's what I wanted to ask. What are yeah. some good proteins that people can consume or have? Yeah, and that's the main thing. So when I usually say, you know, people, people that want to lose weight, we, we look at their basic, uh, their basal metabolic rate. We want to be about 100 to 200 calories under that. And of that calorie, caloric intake, I'm recommending up to, and this is not general medical advice here. I, I talk to each patient individually. Up to 40% should come from protein, right? Um, and yeah, that. For some people, that can be that can be quite a bit. Most people should take in over 100 grams of protein a day easily. Uh, I'm close to 150 to 200 grams a day of protein a day, right? Now, what's good protein? In my opinion, different sources. Uh, whole eggs. So when you look at uh, pasteurized eggs, are an excellent source. Um, and then, of course, things like you know chicken and beef if you like it. If if that's not your thing, or if you're vegetarian, vegan, uh, pea protein, pea protein powder is actually good. What I do is this. I I get about, and then a, a Greek yogurt is another one I like. So eggs, Greek yogurt are very good sources. Then I have a lot of the difference that I cannot get from, from nutrition. I use a whey protein uh, supplement, and a whey protein isolate, or hydrolyzed whey protein. And if you're vegetarian and vegan, that would be pea protein. And the best is fermented pea protein. Right. And for me, that's quite a bit. I'm taking in over 100 grams of that from protein shakes throughout the day. Um, to get my protein needs, but that's that, those are options that you can do. Right. So you say whole eggs, yeah. pea protein, chicken or beef if you like right. it. Um, you also say like avocado yes. uh, for the fats. Mm -hmm. For excellent fat. Yeah. Not so much protein, um, but excellent What fat. type of carbohydrates do people uh, intake? So again, the carbs also we want to limit if you, I mean, if, if weight loss is your goal, right? A good source of carbs, in my opinion, are, are fruit, especially berries. Berries are a little bit lower on the glycemic index. Um, in my protein shakes, so I have the protein powder, water, and then I put um, some chia seeds and flax seeds in there. People have different opinions on seeds. I think in, in moderation, they can be very helpful. They're good for the gut microbiome. Um, they, they, need, they need to be organic and ground. You don't want to have anything that's um, not organic because the risk of it being contaminated with a whole bunch of pesticides is higher. You will still have some in organic products, you know, because they don't, they're not shielded completely. But um, these are also, they have a little bit of carbs, not very much, and have some protein, also not very much. It's mostly that this is good for your gut microbiome, which is important, right? Yeah. And then in terms of carbs, sure, you can do slice of bread, whole wheat bread a day if you want. I don't like gluten so much. I think, it, for me, it doesn't agree with me. Yeah. Um, but I would limit it to that. And if you, if you, and then vegetables, of course, will have carbs as well. Sweet potato, for example. Now, if you do that, you, you're going to get to about 100 to 120 grams of carbs a day, which I think is a very good window. Right. And so, you know, from that perspective, it sounds like, you know, a person whose nervous system is regulated, they have a consistent schedule. Um, maybe they're not in survival mode, right? They kind of have a productive life and they probably right. can follow mm -hmm. those, that routine or that, you know, game plan for eating and weight loss. Right. However, I want to, you know, switch the conversation to how does someone who's in survival mode, um, they don't make enough time to eat healthy or work out. Mm -hmm. What is the intentionality for them to get to a space where they can be healthy or not even lose weight, but feel good in their body. And most of their life is rooted in stress. Like what, if I was someone and I was going through so much, I didn't have time to make a meal plan or I'm working. Right. How would you approach me as a client or customer saying, I just want to feel good in my body? What should that person do? Or what should they think about? Like, what are the protocols for them to get in alignment of hmm. total well-being or holistic well-being? I think that's exactly the motivation that you just mentioned, you know. 
the goal is for you to feel better, right? It's yeah. not just look better, but it's to, to feel better, right? And these things fall into place, you know, brain fog gets better, you know, productivity goes up. I mean, let's face it, if we, um, if our nutrition is better, if our nutrition is optimized, and if we exercise, at least as much as we can, as our day allows, um, we are more productive, we're getting more done, but also we are happier, you know, we can get basically, you know, um, if you have your daily tasks, things become easier. And I think the, the same, I mean, I have a fairly busy day, um, you don't have to have a meal plan or ordering meals, because my concern is always when you're even ordering meals, some, some might be good, but a lot of times when people prepare these foods, they use seed oil, they use all these things, and it's expensive. I mean, right now we're in this uh, economic downturn, I don't know if we, how we're gonna label it. Yeah. They're getting more expensive, let's put it that way. So what I do in the morning, and I think, um, so I get up very early because I want to work out an hour every morning. So you have to have a routine where you, where you do your workout. And uh, how often do you train? Do you train almost every day? Yeah, at least uh, four to five days yeah. a week. I do at least, at least 35 minutes. You know, they say strong body, strong mind. But that honestly gets me going and, yeah. right, and improve, like, my, my thinking, yeah. how I feel, even if I'm having, a, you know, a bad morning. Mm. Like, this morning I woke up, I wasn't feeling as the highest. I was kind of like, ah, uh, neutral. But once I got in the gym and I moved the body, yeah. I felt better. Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. and I think I think the challenge is from people who don't work out like you and I, who, mm -hmm. who are not mindful about what they eat or their environment, they don't know what to do to feel good other than to even numb themselves with drugs and alcohol, yeah. um, force themselves to overwork so they just constantly work and they're not feeling emotions. And I think last but not least, just giving up. Yeah. And I think the obesity rate in America is that way because of that. But I also think because of the misinformation, yeah. right? Yeah. There's so much information on a, what's yeah. on the internet. There's so much information in books, yeah. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. So we don't even know what to do, what not to do. And so I've learned, you know, in a wellness space is that you have to eat and train for your body type, right? right? Yeah. You have ectomorph. These people are more skinny built. Yeah. It's hard for them to gain, easy for them to lose. Endomorph, more round, oval shape, mm. easy for them to gain, hard for them to lose. Then you have mesomorph, which I am, more athletic built, easy to gain, easy to lose. Mm. So I think, you know, because we have this thing called bio-individuality. No one, it's not one thing fits all, right? right? And most people just don't know about their body type or they don't know about their food or blood type. And so we're just following all this information mm. with no real context. So can you speak briefly on um, how you feel about misinformation and how can we get around that and really dive into what's really appointed for us so we yeah. can be beneficial? Yeah, I did a quick video that I posted today on, on, on misinformation that I, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, it's a very unfortunate term. I mean, it's, um, I mean, over the past three years, let's say, science has become very arrogant, right? It used to be humble. We used to say, well, when you, when you read a study that's published in any medical journal, for example, always ends with, you know, this is what we know, but more studies are needed to really confirm this. And we could all always be wrong, and we would like to look at other data that you can provide. That went out the window. So now we have, and that's because politics became involved. I don't think it's the scientists themselves. The scientists are still, they want to do their work. They want to, they want to do the research, but the politicians now say, no, no, we know how it is. And this is what it is. And based on this, we are dictating how you should behave in certain ways or modalities you need to use. And that's very new. And I think it's very terrible. And um, as you see then what happens a lot of times, because, you know, as we do research, things turn out, hey, you know what? We didn't know this earlier on. So now it's changing in medicine and in science. We always adjust for these things, you know, if I treat a patient and I start on an antibiotic and that doesn't work, I'm saying, you know what, nope, we, we tried this, this didn't work, I, I know now, we have to switch you, right? Uh, politics can't do that because mm -hmm. they're losing And so we have this very bad relationship now where politicians are now dictating um, healthcare based on, based on science that they think is fixed. Mm. And, and again, it's like, I'm not even blaming throughout these last years, um, individual recommendations that have been made at a time when we didn't know what was going on. I tell you, in the beginning, we, we closed our clinic down for about two months because we didn't know at all what was going on, right? And I was okay with that. After that, I was like, you know, 
I mean, I think we have enough data now. We've seen countries like Sweden open up and kids are in school and, you know, yeah. this is how it's working. We understand now who's more affected, who's less affected. So let's, let's, let's open up. And then to my surprise, a lot of patients came to me and they were very frustrated. And they said, well, I can't be seen by my cardiologist because he says, unless I'm, I have these and these vaccines, they will not see me. Wow. I, was like, I said, wow, really? That's, that's terrible. I mean, no, I mean, so we made sure from the beginning, anybody was welcome, you know, whatever your choice was, whatever you wanted to do, um, you know, people got tested. If someone had symptoms, they weren't, of course, allowed to come in. This is, this is normal, you know? Yeah. But um, I think this was terrible how we also as a medical community, we should have known better. But again, we also physicians, we listened to the politicians because they are now mm -hmm. dictating our lives. And I don't know if you know this, talking about misinformation and disinformation, California, uh, well, our governor actually signed a, a law uh, that was proposed. It's uh, Assembly Bill 2098, I believe. And that is the medical misinformation uh, law. And that says if any physician advises in a, in a you know, uh, talk with their patients, yeah. any way that differs from what is the current standard that's posted on the CDC website, so to speak, they can take your license away. Wow. For example, you know, I'll give you an example. If a physician by chance would say, you bring in a 12-year-old kid who, who just had COVID, let's say, for example, you know, and you would say, well, so you've, you've just had this, you're healthy. I think you don't need any further, you know, interventions. That is not in accordance with, with the CDC. And if this physician got reported, now they could take their license. Now, fortunately, this law was blocked in a court of law at the moment. Yeah. But it just shows you what extent we've come to that, I mean, we can't be doctors anymore because we are now controlled by um, government agencies like the CDC, who was never, uh, it was never their intent to, to regulate us. It was the intent to make suggestions to advise. Right. That was completely now out of, out of context. Anyway, so this is the thing. When it, talks, when it comes to nutrition as well, the problem is when we talk about misinformation, I think a lot of it is not misinformation, disinformation. I think a lot of it is us understanding what works for an individual person. And like you said, yeah, you black type, there could be body type, but also sometimes it also varies. And then there's also food preference. I think we should maybe talk about underlying general rules that we can all follow, which is you should take in a certain amount of protein. And you can read on, on any study, they always come up with that, right? Then yeah. understand what's good protein, of course. And then I said, what are the things that are bad for us? And that's to say it's simple, highly processed foods, right? Yeah. about fast food, we talk about um, highly processed carbohydrates, we talk about seed oils. And when you cut those out, right, what you're left with is foods that are mostly single ingredient, right? You will have eggs, you will have chicken breast, you will have Greek yogurt, uh, you will have uh, vegetables, you know, you will have uh, fruit, right? And, and yeah, those are general good. And now you got to combine them in the right way where you don't overgo, where you keep your carbohydrates on the lower side, you keep your fat moderately, get some butter, get some, um, you know, uh, olive oil, get some avocado oil, all single ingredient foods pretty much, right? Yeah. With a few, um, and then based on that, you can design your diet, right? So there's universal things that are overlying it. Then it's what we eat and then it's when we eat, because we shouldn't yeah. eat 14 hours a day, 15 yeah. hours a day, 16 hours right. a day necessarily, right? right? Right, you know, when we eat, how we eat, yeah. and I, you know, I've come across mindful eating, Right. Yeah. There's a book called The Enzyme Factor. Uh, I forgot the name of the doctor who wrote the book, but he was saying that um, when we eat, we don't properly digest our food because we're not chewing our food. We're actually swallowing yeah. it. So the more we swallow our food, the more hungry we are because we're not we're not chewing our food. We're just putting it in our mouth, swallowing it. Yeah. Right. And then we just it's not even digesting it and breaking down properly. Then on top of that, we're multitasking. Yeah. We're eating, we're on the phone, we're in the car, yeah. um, we're trying to send a business email. We're not even getting a proper nutrition that the food is giving us. Mm. And I learned this from, uh, not from reading books, but being in your cryo yeah. chamber, right? I was telling one of uh, Andrew, by the yeah. way, I said, you know what's interesting about receiving in life, right? When you get in a cryo chamber, we're all, you know, we're told, as you told us before, you can move around, you can dance. That's great. And so I had this intention of what if I just sit still and allow the machine to do what it's supposed to do right. instead of me giving resistance, right? Yeah. And say, oh, I'm cold. Of course you're cold. But let me, if I just relax my shoulders, breathe, 
And I actually had more benefits by allowing, right, the cryo chamber to kind of like engulf itself into any pain or inflammation I had. So I think that's the thing that we don't mindful, mindfully eat. We don't chew our food. And then we don't know what to eat. So last year, you know, two years ago, 2021, I, uh, I went on a pescatarian diet, right? Yeah. For, for, for three months. And then I went vegan. Yeah. I did vegan for 21 days because I'm a type of person. I want to know if it works for me. So everyone listening, you know, that's taking notes, is getting information from uh, Jonas and I, really be mindful of your body, yeah. of your mind, and what works for you. So 21 days, I went vegan, and I will come into your facility, and I will have to get more B12 shots because yeah. I was low on energy. Now, I'm not knocking veganism or being vegan or vegetarian. It didn't work for me, right? right? So I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, trial and error, but seeing what works. What is, what is, your, uh, what is your perspective on the different type of food choices that we can choose from, like the keto, pescatarian, yeah. uh, vegetarian, um, vegan, whatever? Like, what do you think? Because this, this was yeah. been my experience, and I've tried the things that I mm -hmm. thought was great for everyone, but it didn't work for me. That's, that's an excellent point. And you know, first of all, let me tell you. Um, so remember, I went to UCLA, like a traditional Western medical school. Yeah. I had five hours of nutrition there. But then that's it. And we learned the, the food pyramid. That's what I learned, right? So wow. I learned a lot on my own, especially since I became interested in, in weight loss, mostly for the purpose really of um, preventive medicine, like we talked about, right? How can we prevent a lot of diseases by decreasing our body fat, especially around the visceral organs? <laughs> Side effect, people look better and they have more energy, of course. But here's the interesting thing, what you said is actually right. So then I, of course, reading all these studies, I made recommendations and they were very much the same for everyone. Um, but then I realized, you know, people can respond very differently to different things. And as you said, I know some vegans who do great. That's a perfect diet for them. They are thin, they're lean, they're thriving. And most of the time, people following a vegan diet are very educated. You know, they're very smart because you have to be. You have to combine foods in a certain way and it works for them, right? Uh, now, for me, this wouldn't work either. But again, I'm not, I'm not knocking that either. I think for some people, they can. The key thing is um, not to be too rigid in recommendations because there's, like I said, different food preferences too. Yeah, I can have you maybe eat healthier, but if you hate the food you're eating, how long? Um, right. That's not going to work. So I usually tell people, look, I mean, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this much about protein in. And depending on what, you, what diet you're following, there's different choices for this, right? And then design things around that. Keep your, the general rule is high protein, low carb, low fat, right? And then healthy fats, of course, healthy proteins like we mentioned earlier. But then when do you eat? How many times a day do you eat? And I usually recommend to eat for most days. Um, for most people, you can eat during like a 10-hour like a window about, I would say. That's a very safe thing to say. You know? um, and, the, um, and then you pick a couple of days, well, only one or two days, when you shorten that eating window, so you have a longer fasting window. Because my experience was also, first, I was fasting every day. Yeah. <laughs> I did wait a while, and then I got stuck. It didn't work for me. And then I did more reading on this, and I said, yeah, well, what happens is if you have the same pattern every day, every day, every day, your body's very smart. It's picking up on you. Hey, I know exactly what you're doing. I know when you're eating. I know how many calories. I want to chill out now. I'm going to drive down my, my, my metabolic rate. You know, There's no surprises here. So it's counterproductive. And you could invest in this sense be under eating and still which is really bad so yeah so that works different so i know some people that can eat one meal a day would never work for me i generally don't recommend that yeah but people that works for them and again i used to be saying no don't do that now i'm saying look if this works and you're healthy and your labs are great and you're looking good and you're you're feeling well keep keep doing that right i think the key thing is that uh, the people that i like to talk to are the ones that are that are stuck where something's not working yeah because yeah. working, my general recommendation is if it's working for you and you're healthy, keep, keep doing what you're doing, you know? There are vast differences in our body types. And most studies done, when you look at this, I think are terrible because things like food can have such variations in it, unless we all lock ourselves in the room <laughs> and get back three meals every day for five years, we cannot make an impact in terms of having a good study because first of all these are based on questionnaires right people lie on questionnaires people you know what i mean uh, it, it, yeah. these are not very good studies and then again 
they take people that say, oh, we have these highly trained athletes and this is how they responded. Great. Does this fit for everybody? No, right? So yeah, but what you're saying, so I think in general, what I would like people to do is most days eat in a 10 hour eating frame. Don't eat outside of this time. So when you're, that's your last meal at six o'clock, cut that off. No food overnight until the next day. That's your fasting window, right? And that's, that's then 14 hours, right? If, if, you, if you're eating over, over 10 hours, right? And then one or two days a week, shorten that. Like I did this yesterday. So instead of having my dinner at six, I had my dinner at three o'clock, oh, right? Wow. So then I increased, yeah. Then I, I, I had a big uh, protein shake at three with chia and flax seeds. I always put those in there, right? Um, and then I had a longer fasting window. So then I had a fasting window of let's say 17 hours, okay? And I do that once or twice a week. But on the weekend also, on, on the other side, I pick one day where I will have a meal that people would say is like a cheat meal, right? Or like a yeah. couple of hours where I eat a higher carbs. But I'm not talking about junk. That's not helping anybody. Right. But you know, I will have more fruit. I will make banana cakes with some protein powder in there, right? So, so somewhat still healthy ingredients, but I'm, I'm having a caloric intake that's much higher. And therefore this confuses your metabolism. And it's the same thing with anything. You know this, when you go to the gym and you do the same exercises, the same weight, the same reps all the time, right? You, you can keep your muscle mass, you can keep in shape, but you're not gonna be sore the next day and you're not gonna make any gains. Wow. When you change exercises or you push yourself or you do drop sets or you work the rack, where you go from a heavy weight to a lighter weight to a lighter weight until you can't move your arms anymore and you're sore the next day, you see that your muscles are responding, you're growing, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing for our metabolism. If we become complacent, nothing happens. Having, um, again, a reasonable eating frame throughout the week and then one or two days when you do an intermittent fasting window and then maybe having one cheat meal on the weekend, that jolts your metabolism. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I want to get into like uh, medication and depression and mental health soon. But before we move on, I'm, I'm curious because you, you, you're big on fasting, right? I fast most days. I yeah. probably don't get my first meal until like maybe 11 or 12, maybe one sometimes because my body doesn't really need it. Right. However, what is your experience like with the genders, right? Because I had a gut health coach on my podcast a few months ago, and she was saying most times her women clients are really not good at intermittent fasting because of their cycles, right? right. So some women are not really good at um, having that fasting, like in the morning, not getting that first meal because of their cycles. They might need the food, right? So what is your experience, and what do you say uh, – or what have you seen from your study that works best for women versus men when it comes to intermittent fasting? The early morning eating, that's a common pattern. And I've read a couple of papers on this. I would recommend the following, you know, have your morning meal about at the same time. For me, that's about eight o'clock, right? Yeah. The idea, um, let's say you get up at six o'clock, don't eat for two hours, right? Yeah. In these two hours, have your water, big glass of water, start always with that. And then mm -hmm. coffee, tea, whatever you like to drink, but don't put anything in it. Don't put sugar, don't put agave, don't put a creamer, don't put uh, oat milk, nothing, because you don't want to spike your insulin. And the misconception is that only sugar spikes insulin. Yeah, sugar spikes insulin a lot, fat spikes insulin, and protein spikes insulin. So don't put anything in, because you're burning fat overnight. And even if you only have a 12-hour window overnight where you don't eat, you're still burning fat. But as soon as you put that anything in your coffee, your tea, that stops, right? So that's the number one thing. Then two hours later, let's say 10 o'clock. So I would say for most women, especially, definitely have your morning meal. When you do intermittent fasting, I prefer to have this called early time restricted feeding, which is like finishing earlier. I, I prefer that. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. Because in the morning, I work out every morning. I do one hour of workout every morning, right? I, I got up at 4.30. It's the only way I can make this happen. I, I got young kids, right? So, and um, have my coffee in the morning, have water first, I have a double espresso, and then I work out for about an hour. Um, you know, shower and then wake everybody up and get everybody ready. But then at eight o'clock, um, so for me, this is actually quite a bit later, right? Because I wake up at 4.30, I have my first meal. And I have a meal that has a, that has a protein shake, that has two eggs. I have a slice of this uh, Swedish crisp bread with some cheese. That's my, that's my, my yeah. breakfast. And that's a lot of protein. I have about a 45 gram breakfast of 45 grams of protein, right? And I think start like this. And then from your first meal, eat about every three hours, roughly. And again, people, some people do better with two meals a day. Some people do better with uh, three, four, five meals a day. 
look at your total calories coming in, make sure your protein is adequate, and then whatever works for you, right? So for me, it would be, say, 8 o'clock, then uh, 11 o'clock, I have a, a protein shake, and then um, at 2 o'clock would be my lunch, and sometimes 2 o'clock could be my last meal if I'm fasting, right? Okay. And at 4 o'clock, so I'm shortening a bit, I'll have another protein shake. We're talking about 30 grams here. And then 6 o'clock dinner, right? So that, for me, kind of, kind of works. So that will be a 10-hour a, a eating window. And then some days, again, I shorten that when I finish at 2 o'clock, right? Now, for women, I think better to change the later part of the day whenever you stop eating. That's true. And it's not for everybody. And again, we, we, we don't want to overgeneralize. But if you right. feel with your menstrual cycle, and if this is something that influences it, that's one thing. The other thing is, a lot of times the data comes from women that were overdoing the fasting, right? That were maybe only eating for four hours every day, had a tremendous fasting window. And then when you think about that, uh, we know this from uh, competitive sports, we know this from gymnasts, right? Where puberty sets in later, menstrual cycles mm -hmm. uh, get regulated. And that's because if food is not consistently coming in a certain amount of time, that's the body's response because it would be very bad to, for example, be pregnant in this time of starvation. So yeah. this starvation by virtue of excessive fasting, that can certainly influence the menstrual cycle as well. So I would do this sporadically, like I said, one or two days a week within reason and then have maybe one high calorie meal on the weekend. And I think for most people, this might work in medical advice, uh, but you can, you can try that. Uh, and play with it. And keep in mind, everybody's a bit different. I always say to myself, I say, oh, you should eat like this because this works for right. <laughs> you. Know that? There's no one size fits yeah. all, and that, right? Everybody's no different. Mm -hmm. and, and I might eat the same thing as you, and I might, I might gain a lot of weight, right? I mean, yeah. we, are, we are different. Everybody, every individual is a little bit different. And I think it's good to appreciate that. And as a physician, I always had a hard time with this. Because I was like, you know, everybody gets the same medication. Everybody gets the same this, right? Yeah, but we have to understand. No, we are we are so different enough in certain things that we have to appreciate that. And now I'm, I'm I've become much better at listening and understanding that some people respond differently. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I want I want to speak on medication supplements as well. But yeah. when it comes to like you know topics like mental health and depression, you know, of course we've seen a spike. You know, since the pandemic because so much has changed. The economy yeah. is changing. The world is changing. Technology is advancing. What is it? that you've seen on your end dealing with patients or just social media life itself that's causing you know mental health to be a challenge for most of us and, and why you think depression medication has been such a uh, thing that they have pushed upon people that's in these spaces more than usual than before yeah i mean that's so the first thing i think and i don't know the clear answer to this yeah we we are diagnosing depression more. Now, does that mean that there's more depression? Yeah. Or are we just, um, you know, have our criteria for, uh, you know, telling you you're depressed or not? Has that changed? That's, that I don't know. <clears throat> there certainly is, I mean, changes in our society because when we look at even social media, I mean, the values we had when, when I was a kid, I think um, hanging out with your friends, actually physical contact, uh, meeting up with your friends after school, that was very common. You know, we a lot of times I wasn't allowed to use the telephone because it was too expensive, you know, my dad was like, <laughs> yeah. we just say, hey, three o'clock we meet there. And, and that's very different than what it is today. I think today there's uh, increased loneliness through, unfortunately, even though we feel so connected with, um, you know, social media, it is not the same as real friendship and real contact, you know, because, I mean, real friendship are the people that are there for you when it really matters, right? And when it comes to social media, most of these people are not those type of friends, yeah. you know? Some are, but it's, it's different. And, that's, and so the kind of societal isolation, even though we think we are connected, uh, that's one, I think, criteria why we have more uh, uh, depression, right? Our diet. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. I wanted to mm -hmm. say something because I want people listening to know, like, because mm -hmm. you and I both, everyone knows, we're human. But I believe over the pandemic, when I was so isolated, I got conditioned to be isolated, mm -hmm. right? And even though I might have people that not see people, I'm still in my introverted isolation phase mentally and emotionally, not knowing that, oh, wow, this is a pattern from what I conditioned myself to be or do because of what took place. Right. So it's interesting that you said that. And I think it's an unconscious thing. And most people don't even know we're isolating ourselves yeah. when we don't have to.
So, and that's why I love coming yep. to Cryo because it's a community there. Yeah. It's a community. It's your facility. It feels like family. And that was interesting. That was one of the first things people said when we when we opened again. It's like, oh, yeah. I, really, I miss coming here, right? And we wanted to have our place to be kind of like this this hangout, like this um, Starbucks of health, you know, where people come yeah, in, they can yeah, question. Yeah. Um, if I'm there, they ask me questions, you know. I, I never charge for consultations, you know. I just think if I have time, I'll, I'll talk to you, right? And if, if I don't, then I'm doing something else, right? But um, I think that's really a place where people can come, they can get educated and, and do these things. But yeah, so isolation is, is a big factor. Um, so there's these psychological factors surrounding us, right? And, you know, I think we used to place a lot more value on being connected, being with our family, um, being with our friends. And that has changed a bit, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is we also have become sicker in terms of obesity has, been, has come up and chronic disease has come up. That certainly contributes as well. Um, there's this correlational data. That's the thing. I, again, I told you, I don't like nutritional studies very much. They're very difficult to do. Uh, there was one study that's interesting. Uh, called the Minnesota coronary experiment, where they tried to prove that saturated fat causes heart disease. Mm. And they prove it, but they had people that were in mental hospitals who fed a diet of either saturated fat or, or, or unsaturated fat, right? And they wanted to see, do we have a higher uh, death rate from coronary disease in the saturated fat group, which didn't turn out not to be true. Actually, it was the unsaturated fat group that died at a higher rate, but that's a different story. But this is unethical, of course, and today we couldn't do that. You can't have people, especially people that can't really get, get good consent, put in these groups and feed them a diet that would be detrimental in the end, who knows, right? Yeah. So anyway, but we, so the data sucks, I think. Honestly, the data is not good. Um, but yeah, I think we need to kind of understand that we, we're getting heavier, we're getting, we're getting fatter, we're getting sicker. That's a, that's a trend. Now, people have different opinions on this. Some people say, oh, we just have more food available. I don't agree with that. I think in the 1950s, there was plenty of food available as well. So I think it is these seed oils, processed foods, right, that, that we're eating, right? Because those things, uh, things stimulate us to be even hungrier, right? Once we eat it, yeah, it, it just spikes us to, like, want more food. Yeah. I know when I eat sugar, I want oh, more yeah. of it. High fructose corn syrup. And people say, oh, that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, the, when you really look at it, there's a study that pointed this out. The caloric value per gram is actually much higher. So what we can actually use, and it's very misleading. Um, and we are stuffing ourselves full of that stuff. And at least in the 1950s, it was a bit more wholesome. Like I said, the French fries were fried in beef tallow. You had um, a butter. You didn't have any of those vegetables. That came a bit later. And it's actually since 1910, it was actually started with Crisco, crystallized cottonseed oil. And the reason, by the way, I also want to say this, because everybody comes to me, oh, my, my cardiologist still says I should eat seed oils, unsaturated fat, right? Because it's better for me. It lowers my LDL. That's true. It does lower your LDL. There's no question. A little bit. But that's not the cause of heart disease. Heart disease is caused by oxidized LDL. And LDL oxidizes if it has in it LDL low-density lipoprotein. It's like this, like this vesicle, this, this bus transporting fats. And they looked at which of the those fats actually oxidizes because only when this particle is oxidized can it cause inflammation in your arteries and cause atherosclerosis. And it turned out it is omega-6 linoleic acid, which is predominantly found in these seed oils, in your soybean oil, canola oil, and all those. So there's a direct link there, you know. Hard to do a long-term study because, again, this stuff that we're eating, all of us have been eating this since childhood. Right. It's in our system. Two years to get out. If I do a three-month interventional trial, that's not it. That's that doesn't tell me much, right? But, but I think that's number one reason. Number two reason is exposure to plastics, which is terrible, um, which is influencing our hormones. And coming back to depression, my other theory at least, so that's what many scientists now believe, is that because, you know, when you look at it, our hormones are out of whack. Compared to 1950s, testosterone is down. Uh, sperm count in men is down by 50%. Fertility is down, right? But for both men and women, fertility is down. And a lot of it, I believe, and many scientists believe, has to do with plastic exposure, toxins from plastic mm. that goes to with our food, especially when you heat the food, like hot liquids. You go in the morning, you have a Starbucks, you get that beautiful paper cup, right? That's not paper, it's lined inside with plastic. It's a very thin layer, so you don't see it. Right. Now you put hot liquid in there, all those beautiful BPA phthalates or BPF, BPS, doesn't have to be BPA, that's, that's a lie as well. It's yeah. not that, it's another. Yeah. Phthalates. And all this crap that you have in plastic is with this heat extracted in your coffee, 
that's birth control and depression right there, you know, and it's bad. And I think that contributes to our mental health, it contributes to obesity, it contributes to our fertility and hormones in general, you know. I would argue more and more young people now, when it comes to hormones, are more confused or, or, or feeling differently than they did, uh, you know, let's say 50 years ago. Yeah. And that could, one of the reasons, you know, could be also, well, it, it could also be societal, of course, it could be other things, absolutely. But part of that is we, we should also look at uh, real environmental causes that influence our hormones and how we develop. So yeah, so basically you're saying a lot of like the mental health mm -hmm. spike, um, um, depression yeah. is all due to like a lot of things, environment, um, lack of human connection, even though we think we have it via social media, yeah. um, our food choices, plastic, right? Yeah. And environment itself really affecting our hormones and making us think and do things that are out of alignment of our holistic well-being and fulfillment, right? right? And I think that's not, you know, acknowledged enough, but everything's plastic. That's the thing. Like, everything's yeah. plastic. Like, you know, how do we get around that? So before we leave, I really want you, if you can kind of, like, close it up and just kind of give us a, a real full synops synopsis of, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to depression, when it comes to weight loss, and just overall well-being, what is like three to five tips people can focus on and apply that will kind of not make it perfect for them, but improve their well-being? Because I think people need tangible, practical things that they can do every day that is common yeah. for everyone, right? Because everyone lives a different right. life. Okay, so I would say, John, so... so all-encompassing, the most important things to me is, number one, cut out your seed oils. We talked about that. You can read different studies on it, but again, in my experience, everybody that did that is getting a lot better. They're losing weight, they're getting healthier, and they're feeling better. That means soybean, canola, sunflower, safflower, whatever else. Stick to olive oil and avocado oil, but make sure they're 100%. The labels are lying. Everybody's lying. Stuff gets punched in. Just yeah. sure. Fat butter is the third one, and we're talking small amounts here, right? So when you do something, you're frying something, use a very, very small amount only, right? We go overboard. And um, the second thing is cut out all your plastics. Do not ever heat anything in plastics. Don't drink hot liquids out of paper cups. They're not paper. That's plastic, right? Try to minimize as much. You can't always. I mean, uh, and uh, to me, actually, cold foods packed in plastic is okay. Uh, cold temperatures, much better. But cans... When you buy food in cans, that can is lined with plastic. You won't get botulism because yeah. there's no more metal in there, but you're going to have a bunch of phthalates. And guess what? When they put that stuff in the can, a lot of times that's hot. So you have a real brew in there full of these plastic chemicals. So cut that out. That's number two. Very important. Number three, in terms of your diet, make sure you get enough protein. You have good proteins. And honestly, for me, I don't eat a lot of meat. Um, I, I, that's why I do a supplement. I, I get a high-quality uh, whey protein isolate or get pea protein or fermented pea protein if you're vegetarian vegan. Add that in your diet. Calculate your total protein for day that you have that meat net. And then start times and end times on most days for your food, right? That's important as well. And don't eat after that. And of course, the easiest thing is cut off everything that's processed junk food, right? Anything uh, bleached flour and soybean oil and it always says on the container, that's just that's garbage, you know, let's throw that out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we, we just we, we discussed a lot. I really appreciate your, your authenticity, your transparency, the information, because we know information changes situations. So yeah. also, are you taking on um, any clients for, you know, weight loss or improving their well-being? We know you have cryo health right. here in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Can you go over the benefits one more time of cryo and how people can reach out sure. and um, even get consulting from you or at least kind of pick your brain? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Cryocare.com is our website. Um, C-R-Y-O, healthcare1word.com. And of course, we have um, different modalities that we do. <clears throat> we do medical weight loss. We do whole body cryotherapy. We do a lot of uh, non-pharmacologic modalities, um, LED beds. We have uh, uh, PMF mats. We have um, localized cold treatments. We do all these things that uh, vitamin injections, and I do some IVs as well. Um, these are all things you can do there. Um, also, if you just want to get information, you know, I think it's, it's a good source to, to, to look into this. Um, sometimes I talk to someone, they may not be a candidate for the medical weight loss program, but just they want to get some information, that's fine. You know, I think that's, that's very good. Um, so, we're, so we're there for that. 
and yeah, I mean, our goal is again, minimize medications, you know, optimize um, how you eat, what you eat, and you know, optimize uh, your preventive health aspects, you know, don't become sick, we like you to stay healthy. And the same for you, so I must say, I mean, your work is fantastic. And I was I keep following it, you know, yeah. And I, but what I really learned from you as well is that, you know, the, the key thing is how can we be uh, physically better is by also being better here by being smarter, being more positive. And, and that's the other thing, you know, if we have um, a positive outlook on things, if we have, you know, things become easy, become better, and that's not easy to do. And I think yeah. really helping people a lot by really changing their mindset on many things. And that's where it all starts, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, mindset is everything. And I think, you know, what I've been good at is keeping a positive mind. I think my challenge is understanding that it is a negative mind and it's okay uh, to embrace that as well, because we have our light and our shadow self, right? And they both have a perspective that helps us in life. But I think the, the main thing is your overall well-being, right? Not how you look, but how you feel and what you think. And I think fitness, movement, 30 minutes, a few days a week yeah. will help. Uh, eating the proper foods, getting the right environment, vitamin yeah. D, sunlight, yeah. uh, cryo healthcare, and um, just really just understanding who you are as an individual outside of what the information that we're always given or getting from others. So I think it's important. Um, I just appreciate you again. Uh, if there's anything else you want to share, we know Cryo Healthcare. Yeah. Follow them, uh, www.cryohealthcare.com. Mm -hmm. And this was another Bigger Talks IG Live Edition episode. Dr. Jonas, just want to say thank you. And look, I'll see thank you soon. You. <laughs> there we go, okay? uh, thank you. Have a good one. Be great. Peace and love. So there you go. There you have it. Uh, Jonas. Jonas is the guy. Uh, follow him. Get some more information. And uh, I trust this information was valuable. It helped you look at things differently within yourself. And um, until next time, have a good one. Subscribe to Bigger Talks Podcast on Apple, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon. And you guys have a phenomenal day. Peace and love. I'm out.